Hello, and welcome to this Chicago Symphony Orchestra virtual pre-concert with your host, Johan Weiss. You are the first audience to usher in the new season of our Chicago Symphony Orchestra, Fall 2021. My name is Johan Weiss, Associate Professor of Musicology at Wheaton College, and for this year I'll serve as the Dean's Chair at the Schulich School of Music, McGill University, Montreal, Canada. This is my 23rd season to welcome you to Orchestra Hall. Every time I regard the privilege as if it were my very first time. I am delighted to bring you the first measures of one of the great works with which many are familiar. I'm referring, of course, to Beethoven's third of nine symphonies, the one in E-flat major, Opus 55, completed in 1804, nicknamed the Eroica Symphony. The audience at the premiere in 1805 expected symphonies to last at most 30 minutes. Imagine the shock at hearing this one that clocked in around 50 minutes. This 2021-2022 season of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra is no ordinary season. We all know that we had to contend with public demonstrations during the past year and the loss of over 600,000 lives to the COVID-19 pandemic in our country. But this is also the moment when Beethoven, who knew what it was like to live in turbulent times, welcomes us with his Symphony No. 3. William Kinderman reminds us in his recently published book titled Beethoven, a political artist in revolutionary times, that Beethoven, quote, lived through some of the most turbulent events in European history. The French Revolution, 1789 to 1799. The Reign of Terror, 1793 to 1794. The Rise and Fall of Napoleon Bonaparte, 1799 to 1815. The Battles of Wagram, 1809, and Leipzig, 1813. The Congress of Vienna, 1814 to 1815. And the ensuing era of political repression, end of quote. Now, this program is indeed a curtain raiser serving as a comfort in a time of turbulence. Let's look at the works on today's program. Beethoven's Eroica Symphony of 1804 ends the program. The concert opens with the three and a half minute overture to the opera L'Amant Anonyme, the anonymous lover of 1780 by Joseph Bologne, who was also known as the Chevalier de Saint-Georges. He was born 11 years before Mozart in 1745, and died eight years after Mozart in 1799. In between the overture and the Eroica symphony, we have a beautiful gem lasting just about seven minutes. It is the second and final movement, the Adagio Moderato, of the string quartet in G major 
by Florence Price. She was born in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1887 and died in Chicago in 1953. Like St. George, Florence Price is also a composer of color. St. George was the son of a French landowner on the island of Guadeloupe in the Caribbean and a Senegalese enslaved woman named Nanon. He was the toast of Paris during the second half of the 18th century. A prodigious fencer and virtuoso violinist and later an officer during the French Revolution, he was well-liked and had at one point a very wide reputation. Florence Price, closer to our time, lived in Chicago for much of her career. She was heavily influenced by Dvorak's notion of using folk materials of a nation with which to build compositions for the concert stage. Not all her compositions contain African-American idiomatic references. Beethoven presents us with a turbulence of contrasting ideas as he opens his Eroica symphony that we heard at the beginning of our program today. Imagine the shock of the audience at the premiere in 1805. To their surprise, they heard two loud bangs of forte chords followed by a quiet melody on celli and basses in unison emerging from behind the curtains with a do, mi, do, so, do, horn call-like melody landing and holding a surprise foreign note raised sixth degree of the scale when the violins and other strings enter. As if he wants to shock the audience out of their predictable comfort, he unexpectedly punches us with syncopation, emphasizing the weak part of the beat, then speeds it up, all within the opening one minute. This is the revolutionary agitator supplying the audience with a curtain raiser filled with drama. that we have listened to Beethoven's opening of the Eroica Symphony, let's examine a few items of unusual innovation that Beethoven brings to the audience of the time in which he lived. An ardent sympathizer of the French Revolution, Beethoven dedicated this symphony to Napoleon Bonaparte, but scratched out the dedication when Napoleon declared himself emperor in 1804. The published title page in 1810 simply states, quote, a heroic symphony composed to celebrate the memory of a great man, end of quote. 
Of course, this was printed in German. Incidentally, Joseph Boulogne, this Chevalier de Saint-Georges, was not only a French Revolution sympathizer, he commanded the Black Legion, also known as the Legion of Saint George. Thomas Alexandre Dumas, father and grandfather of the two renowned 19th century authors, served directly under Saint George. If Beethoven's revolutionary sympathies are evident in the opening of the symphony, perhaps he's concerned with the death of Napoleon's soldiers that comes through in the second movement, a funeral march. I believe that in this time of COVID-19, this second movement of the Eroica Symphony reminds us of those persons lost during the pandemic. It's perfectly appropriate, therefore, to listen to the second movement with the oboe solo accompanied by the basses, imitating drum cadences as a time of personal reflection. Listen to Sir George Schulte conduct the Chicago Symphony Orchestra in a recording under the London Decca label made in 1989 in all these examples. As if to lighten the mood, Beethoven takes on a whirlwind scherzo, literally the term means a joke, in his third movement. customary for symphonies up to this point to have the major musical argumentation in the first movement. The first movement had a set structure known as first movement form, also known as sonata allegro form. The template for this structural form is an exposition of usually two contrasting themes the development of those contrasting themes 
and then the return known as the recapitulation of those contrasting themes. However, in this particular symphony's first movement, Beethoven proves his revolutionary sympathies by bucking convention. He tricks his audience. See if you can notice what happens right in the first movement at the point that we expect a return to the opening material, also known as the recapitulation. Listen if you notice the irregularity of a certain instrument entering at an inappropriate moment. it. The horn enters at a point when it is not the return to their opening theme yet. The horn jumped out of the starting blocks before the others, with the opening theme in the horn already reaching the home chord of E-flat major while the strings are still preparing its arrival and dissonance occurs. If the opening movement hinted at Beethoven's revolutionary tendencies by breaking the rules, then the final movement goes wild with rule-breaking and quote-unquote lawlessness, as one contemporary 19th century reviewer called it. So, to set us up with this quote-unquote lawlessness, uh, as the 19th century reviewer referred to it, Beethoven starts off the finale of the Eroica Symphony with a spectacular operatic flourish. This flourish serves as a dramatic foil for a gentle theme that follows. He had used this theme in at least two other works. This time, the Eroica's finale of 1804, he recycles the same triadic theme that spectacularly revolutionary effects. Listen to the opening of this theme, which outlines a triad. Do, so, so, do, do, di, do, and so on. So here is an early version, the 15 variations and fugue for piano composed in 1802 by Beethoven. Listen to the opening and the sudden jolt that appears as he takes us into this zone of seeming comfort. The other prominent work that used the same theme is the finale of his ballet, The Creatures of Prometheus, written even earlier in 1801. 
in the finale of the Eroica symphony, Beethoven would use this setup. Fugal writing used not as the final segment of a set of variations, as it does in the piano variations, but as infusion throughout the variations. A fugue, you will remember, is the purest form of polyphonic writing in which a single melody makes staggered entries, one after another, and the texture ends up being a woven carpet, crisscrossing this single melody. It is almost as if Beethoven shows his revolutionary dexterity amid one variation upon another. Now listen to the orderly cerebral fugue that closes the 15 piano variations of 1802, an earlier composition. Let's compare this straightforward fugal writing of the piano variations to the setting for the finale of the Eroica symphony. Notice in particular how Beethoven infused the variations with polyphony throughout the movement. Another revolutionary feature of this finale is the use of the slow variations that climax with dramatic intensity. Eventually, this showpiece movement, number four of Beethoven's Eroica Symphony, takes on the revolutionary quote-unquote lawlessness and dismantles the entire structure at the segment that follows.
if Beethoven's quote-unquote lawlessness takes us to the revolutionary spirit of the late 18th, early 19th centuries, then the piece that opens our program provides us with a different picture. The overture to the opera L'Amont Anonyme, The Anonymous Lover, composed in 1780, when Beethoven was 10 years old, by Joseph Boulogne, Chevalier de Saint-Georges, has no hint of this being music of a man who would become a commander in the French Revolution Army about 19 years later. There is the unmistakable presence of drama in what we've just heard. Expressivity of loudness and softness, the contrasting opening with each vigorous expressiveness, and then the contrast of beautiful lyric oboe passages that follow give us a sense of the drama that Saint-Georges is capable of conjuring up. The operatic sensibilities of Saint-Georges are clearly evident in the tempestuous middle section, also known as the development section of this overture. One wonders what the operatic works would have be sounded like had he experienced as the director of the Paris Opera which he was to be appointed to at age 31. The opportunity to become the director of the Paris Opera offered to Saint-Georges was scuttled by its four leading ladies. They petitioned Queen Marie Antoinette to save them from, quote-unquote, degrading their honor and delicate conscience by having them submit to the orders of a mulatto, end of quote. Bias stood in the way of merit in the case of Saint-Georges in 1776. Between the overture to the opera L'Amont Anonyme, the anonymous lover of Joseph Boulogne, Chevalier de Saint-Georges, and Beethoven's monumental Eroica symphony on today's program, there is a wonderful lyrical gem of remarkable emotional quality that bridges these two works. This middle piece is the on the program is the second movement marked Andante Moderato of her first string quartet in G major by Florence Price, who died in Chicago in 1953. Again, a reminder that we will hear the work in a string orchestra arrangement and not as a string quartet. 
We hear the lyricism of the late Romantic era coming through in this very finely crafted but utterly beautiful opening to the seven-minute ABA work. This serene beauty of the opening one minute of this work betrays the unbelievable circumstances of Florence Price's life in 1929 when this string quartet was completed. Two years earlier, in 1927, living in Little Rock, Arkansas and being a very comfortable black middle-class family, Florence Price and her husband Thomas a partner in a law firm, left for Chicago. Increasing racial tensions starting in 1919 and climaxing in Little Rock in the lynching of a black man in 1927 near a church in the black section of town caused much consternation in the society. Nonetheless, in 1927, Florence Price won a Holstein Prize for composition. In 1929, during the year that this string quartet was completed, the Great Depression set in uh, during October of that year. Thomas Price, a prominent lawyer in Little Rock, Arkansas, had difficulty finding work in Chicago during the Depression. Florence Price managed to earn some money by using her music creatively, composing, teaching, playing the organ at churches, and freelancing. The couple divorced in 1931. After this event, a remarkable time of compositional productivity came about for Florence Price. Thank you. 
Price had many accomplishments. High school valedictorian at age 14, New England Conservatory graduate in Boston at age 17, the 1932 Wanamaker Music Competition Contest first prize winner in the category for symphonic works for her symphony in E minor, composed two years after the string quartet in G major, the work from which our piece is taken, to name only a few of her accomplishments. An orchestral work by the title Ethiopia's Shadow in America also received attention in the press. She wrote four symphonies in total. Despite her brilliance in orchestral composition, she found difficulty getting orchestras to perform her music. Writing in 1943, 14 years after the Andante Moderato from the String Quartet Number no. 1 in G Major on today's program, Price, in a letter to the director of the Boston Symphony, Serge Kusevitsky, makes the following statement, quote, I have two handicaps, those of sex and race. I am a woman and I have some Negro blood in my veins. Knowing the worst then, would you be good enough to hold in check the possible inclination to regard a woman's composition as long on emotionalism but short on virility and thought content until you examine some of my work? As to the handicap of race, may I relieve you by saying that I neither expect nor ask any concession on that score. I should like to be judged on merit alone. The great trouble having been to get conductors who know nothing of my work to even consent to examine my score." End of quote. Florence Price. Given the context in the times in which we live, I felt it important to give substantial background to the composer Florence Price, who contributed the breach composition on our program today. Finally, let me give you a quote by Bwale Shoyinka, the Nigerian recipient of the 1986 Nobel Prize for Literature. Quote, My horizon on humanity is enlarged by reading the writers of poems, seeing a painting, listening to some music, some opera, which has nothing at all to do with a volatile human condition or struggle or whatever. It enriches me as a human being." End of quote. May today's program enrich your life beyond measure, and so doing, may you face the turbulent times we live in with greater courage, confidence, and camaraderie. Thank you for listening and enjoy the concert.